This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. You're listening to the Free Breakfast at Free FM 89.0. It's 10 past 8 now. Joining me for an update on a number of things now is Hamilton Mayor Paula Southgate because, well, you know, when you need to know what's going on in the region, go to the top, don't you? Good morning, Paula. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. You're in hot demand at the moment, actually, because I see you popping up on uh, uh, various news shows uh, all around the country. RNZ uh, tap into you from time to time. Um, a lot of interest in what's happening around the Waikato region, and I want to, first of all, touch on going down to step one of level three. Uh, you know, we, we expected a little bit more than that, but are you, are you happy enough with where that's taking us at the moment? Oh, look, no, I was really disappointed that we didn't go down to level two. But um, it's clear that the government is taking a super cautious approach to this Delta variant. And if in doubt, they've really um, closed off the borders, shut people back down to lockdowns to enable uh, pockets of uh, New Zealand to eradicate COVID. We haven't quite got there in Hamilton, Waikato. There are still cases. But uh, as I understand it, it's still a possibility that we could get rid of everyone, those cases in, in our area. And that's the goal. So they're being very conservative and keeping us in lockdown a bit longer. We're talking about Monday midnight being the first opportunity possibly to see if, uh, some further easing. What do you think the chances are? We're likely to go to level two at that stage if everything's looking good, or do you think we'll just step down quietly like Auckland's going through that experience at the moment? Well, look, I do think they'll be looking at two factors. First of all, they'll be looking at the number of active cases in the Waikato if they're all linked, if they're under control and isolating and those kind of things, what the chances of any of those affected pe- people having infected other people is, that's one thing. The other thing they'll be looking at, of course, is our vaccination rates. But I would be surprised with the way that Hamilton's tracking. If we get super low numbers of cases and our vaccination rate just climbs up a little bit more, we'll be there. We're not very far behind Christchurch. Yeah, I suppose there's a, there's a case to say for that, but but there's also the the um, the point of view that seems to be growing around the country is that you know Delta's out there and there's not going to be anything we can do to really put the lid on that properly until vaccination rates do hit that ninety percent mark, and that mm. may be the one thing that holds us back and keeps us in the current situation for longer. Yeah, absolutely right. Look, this is government's policy that we're working to. And they've made that quite clear for for a long time that this 90% is the target, 90% double vax. So I can tell you that we're at about 88.2% single vaxed and up as just under 70% um, double vaxed. So we've got to get that 70% up to the 90%. Now, some of that will happen because, you know, if you've been vaccinated once, you're likely to get your second vax within that three-week period. So that's good news. A lot of those people will become part of the bigger... Um, 90% figure that we're the 80 plus percent figure that we've got now, and uh, but we still need a considerable uplift. I think there's about three thousand um, plus three and a half thousand people in Hamilton required to get the their first vaccination to really put us on track here. Are you privy to where those uh, areas are that are lagging the most, or, or what sectors of the community are, are further behind the eight ball than the rest? I am now. I, we got a really useful... Uh, look, it only arrived yesterday evening, so I'm not across all the detail. 
But we have been given a breakdown now by um, suburb, if you like. And there again, not uh, unsurprisingly, some suburbs are highly vaxxed. Flagstaff led the way from the get-go, if you recall. So North Hamilton, Flagstaff has done marvellously. Other areas still lagging behind. I'm not going to name and shame areas. I think it's really important that we reach into those particular areas of geography and encourage them or make it easy for them to consider vaccination. Now, would you say that we've got to do this? Are you suggesting that our city council has a role to play in doing that? Um, we've got a support role in this, but this is the health board's job to, uh, it's the government's job and it's the health board's job to decide how and when uh, they're going to reach the pockets of uh, community that they need to vaccinate. Having said that, as we um, spoke to them yesterday and the day before, uh, three of three mayors, Mayor Alan Sanson, Mayor Jim Milchrist and myself, and we said, look, we're here to be helpful. So the more we know about what you have planned, the more we can get behind it. And we've still got that on that support on the table for them. How happy are you with the communication you're getting from the DHB? I personally uh, get good communication with the DHB. It was a bit lumpy to begin with. It was just a little bit late, you know, it was a little bit too little and a little bit too late. Um, and I made it quite clear to them that Hamilton um, wanted and deserved to know what was going on immediately after that public announcement. So we needed the figures. We needed to know how many people in Hamilton, uh, where the locations of interest was were. That was causing a lot of anxiety. You know, you know there's mm. a case in Hamilton. Um, where have they been? Have I been there? You know, that, that really does play onto people's um, minds and makes them feel uncomfortable. So... We got that sorted. Um, a number of us spoke to them about developing a daily social media tile so that everybody can share it with all the numbers that anybody might need on. They've done that now and it looks really great. Um, I would like it to come out a tiny bit quicker than it does, but um, I guess it's generated from Wellington. Um, so I, I do try to keep people up to, up to date every day on my page. As soon as I know the announcement, I post something. I hope at that time it's accurate and useful. Moving forward, I want to ask you about the uh, the situation from uh, business and commercial terms. There must be mm. a, a lot of queries coming away from people involved in business uh, in the region who are affected at the moment and wondering, you know, how things are going to progress from here and what sort of support and initiatives may come from uh, council level. Uh, are, you, are you involved in those sort of discussions at the moment or are you adopting more of a wait-and-see approach for a little bit longer uh, yet? Oh, no, we keep in contact with the Chamber of Commerce. We keep in contact with Hamilton Central Business Association, Tawaka and things like that. And uh, they know that they have an open line to our senior staff who said, you know, let us know what, how we can be of support. We've done a number of things around, around um, rent, rental uh, rebates for uh, people in council facilities. We've um, looked at rate remission, of course, and uh, an ability for instalments to be paid on rates, things to help people out in every, any which way we can. Um, and, and outside of that, we are encouraging people to support local business, we are constantly asking local business what it's looking like for them and is there any particular way that we can help and we're pursuing an option at the moment around um, uh, you know allowing uh, more restaurants to take up more pavement space without taking um off uh, walkers and um, you know mobility devices like a scooters or, ch- uh, or wheelchairs 
Uh, but can they use a little bit more of the public open space in the summer? Because it's quite clear that dining outside is safer than dining inside. So those are the sort of things that we can explore and are exploring. And what about the other more mundane side of uh, of council's operations um, in the new norm that we have? Uh, are you satisfied with the way that the council is able to operate in terms of um, ability for councillors to be engaged with uh, decision making and for staff at council to be able to get on and do their jobs? Well, first thing, council is making uh, is business as usual for councillors. All the meetings we've been holding before we're holding in the Zoom room. But are they working and okay like that? Uh, look, they, they work. They do work okay. Decisions get made. Personally, you know, I don't think the Zoom room is a total replacement for in-person meetings. You, you can't read the room. I, I chair them a lot, and so do some of the other chair people. And um, we, you can't read the room. You don't get that nuance. You don't get that subtle um, interaction between people. You're just looking at faces on a screen. So it is more difficult it's not so difficult for straightforward um, decision-making. You've got a report, you've pre-read, you've understood, you've asked your questions, and then you make a decision. But the more complex things, I feel it would be really useful for us to all be in the room. And sometimes um, to get into a room in a wa- uh, workshop situation, large whiteboard, you know, marker pens, get our thoughts up there, ask any question, put a, pop up any creative idea and, and start there. I do believe in that stuff. Um, okay, and and what about for, for uh, not uh-huh. councillors but staff and the and the way that they're working? They must yeah. still be finding some that a little bit restrictive the way that they, have, you know, not, not all of them can get on and do the stuff that they do best by being out in the field. No, absolutely, you're right. Um, we learned a lot from last year, though, in terms of what we couldn't do in lockdown and how we could do it safely. So we're doing a lot more. But you're right, there are people. I mean, libraries are closed, for example. And not much you can do if you're a librarian from home. But um, for the large part, we're using all our staff resources the best we can, giving them activities, uh, work activities to do. We're also our out and about park staff, etc., are out there, our maintenance staff, our street cleaners, everything's go- going on. Uh, waste, of course, is still being collected. We've learned a great deal about how to do that better. We've got a bit of a backlog. And that's understandable because there was a time when, you know, everything was kind of stopped and um, it had to get into this new system. So, um, yeah, parks and gardens are not being mowed quite as often or as quickly as they might be if we were fully on deck and all go. But we are maintaining things to the best of our ability. And, And where we're not, we really do need people to let us know, you know, if they feel that, their local park has just become too much like a meadow. <laughs> they should call us, um, and we can redirect some resources there. If there's a pothole or a pavement crack has opened up, uh, they should call us because we're not out about everywhere all of the time. If our rubbish bins are overflowing and uh, and there's um, you know terrible mess, terrible smell, then we we need to know we'll come and empty those bins. So look, we're trying to be as helpful as possible and keep our city. Ticking along nicely. I know you're, you're a, a relentlessly positive kind of person anyway, but are you feeling upbeaten and, and positive looking forward and thinking, well, you know, there is an end to this where we are looking at, you know, the end of spring going into summer, we, we will be in a better place. I am an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of person. But like everyone, I'll admit to having days where I just 
feel a bit of a funk. Like I feel, uh, you know, maybe your mood gets a little lower. You've got less of a spring in your step and you're wondering when we're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think everybody feels like that. And from what the, the psychologists who are out and about, like Nigel Latter and so on, say, that is absolutely normal. We're in a, we're in a, um, a phase of uncertainty. We're in a phase of fear and anxiety. And you know, but I'm, I'm lucky. Like I may feel in a bit of a funk. I really do miss my daughters. They're grown up, but they and they live in Hamilton, but I haven't seen them except on a Zoom screen. So I'd love to give them a hug. And you know, I'm glad that this this weekend I might be able to get in the park and have a, a, a at distance barbecue with them. That would be fantastic. But I'm not doing it hard by any means. I haven't got a business that's about to fall over. I haven't uh, got new grandchildren that I haven't even been able to clap an eye, eyes on. Uh, I haven't got a sick relative that I can't visit in hospital. I haven't got a mother-in-law um, that I can't see in, in hospital and all of that. It's um, one of the things I think that's probably going to help people is um, emerging events uh, that are planned for you know coming out the other side of all this too. That once we start getting involved in group activities from a, a civic perspective, things will seem a lot better than um, you know. It's quick. The, the stuff we're going through now is going to be quick to disappear in our memories. Yes, yeah, I hope so. Look, there are there are some um, you know shining lights on the horizon for us to look forward to. I do believe that if we pull together, we can get a better summer. Um, I do believe we can look into 2023 under a more permissive regime and see things coming back on to the calendar. Yeah, no, events, um, uh, sport, and all of those things that make us feel good about life, they'll come back. We'll be able to go further from home and to have little adventures in places we haven't seen for a long time, and that will brighten everyone up as well. That's a nice note. I just want to touch on one other subject before I let you go, Paula, and that is the uh, news this week that um, Minister Mahuta uh, delivered the news that government is mandating the three waters changes. Does that mean it's mm -hmm. a slam dunk from uh, council's point of view? Because so many councils around the country reacted against it and gave negative feedback to government about the existing plans. It, has that been ignored? Is the government just going to surge ahead or is there still room for negotiation? There is still room for negotiation. First of all, um, people will be disappointed that it was forced through in this way. I understand that. I, too, am disappointed. Our council took the approach of working alongside government and saying, hey, we'll help you, we'll develop with you a model that works for us that's better than the one on, on the table. Uh, they have now set up a working group, which was something that we hoped they would, to continue working through the details. So, yes, it'll, it will be mandated, and yes, those four la super large entities are still on the table. But the ink's not dry on that decision. Um, council have asked me unanimously to continue working inside the tent with government. That doesn't mean I support government's proposition at all. It means that I want to seize every opportunity that I have to influence the outcomes, and I will continue to do that. Uh, so we'll be looking at things like uh, provisions against privatisation, because we oppose any form of privatisation. We'll be... Um, pressing on them to make some changes around the asset ownership model that's currently proposed. We'd be pressing on them for greater community engagement and localism. We definitely want those, whatever the entities end up looking like, local voice is absolutely critical. Locals should be able to have a say in their three water services, and that's a given for us. So, yeah, look, look, I'm, I'm going to be boots and all in further conversation. Uh, I reject the view that we haven't taken a strong position 
we could um, stand outside of a tent and wave a flag in protest, or we could get in that tent and say, hey, you haven't got this quite right, and here are our ideas. And that's the only difference um, in our opinions. I believe, um, as mayor, it is my job to get alongside government in the same room and fight for the kind of outcome that we want. There's so many big issues involved in all of this, though, aren't there? And when you look at the experiences that Auckland's gone through with its water supply, the infrastructure problems that Wellington is having, the fact that places like Nelson are struggling uh, to get their infrastructure up to speed despite spending millions in recent years, uh, it is is a right thing for the government to be concerned about this, isn't it? Look, I believe that some level of change is needed, and that's on the basis of two things, and I'll just quickly outline them. First of all, there's a matter of principles that I think everybody out there would agree with. No one in New Zealand should be poisoned or made ill by bad water supplies. Pollution of any sort, whether it comes um, from a a city's wastewater plant or out of the stormwater or wherever it comes from, should not end up into our rivers, uh, our lakes and our beaches. You should be able to swim um, safely in New Zealand waters. I believe uh, we can all agree that water services need to be cost effective and efficient that we should be doing them at the lowest cost we can for ratepayers keeping the cost down but our um, service delivery should be super efficient uh, and and um, I believe that local people deserve a voice over uh, their local placemaking and how water services fit into that so that's one thing uh, that we need to all take on board the other thing is the financial cost coming our way are huge. Hamilton City Council has budgeted to spend over $900 million on three waters over the next 10 years in a 10-year plan. That's, that was just under a third of our rates um, hits this year. And, um, you know, that's why we labelled that rates portion, the government compliance portion, because it's what we need to do to keep up with all the changes government is imposing around water standards. Uh, we had this this month this 900 million explodes to 5.3 billion dollars over the next 30 years with stormwater investment being half of that so even though we've got the 900 million in the next year 10 year plan we have almost a further 400 million of free water investment in that same period which currently is not funded because we don't have the debt capacity to borrow more because we don't have the future rate payers and the, and the new houses built get the money off ratepayers or developers um, so you know financially whether we are into some new form of um, water services or we remain the same the costs coming as, as are quite huge the economic case and it was being peer-reviewed three times by people much cleverer than me about economics the economic case for New Zealand is quite clear uh, we can provide lower cost higher service delivery levels um, by by joining up in some way with our neighbours um, and doing things a little bit differently. The, the, the only thing that we're concerned with is we don't think the current model with the four giant entities and removing the assets into the ownership of those entities is the correct form of change. You want to put a, 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 a bit of a guess on how long it's going to take to um, go through the next stage of, of uh, negotiations over three waters with the government, though, and what sort of time frame we could be working to before we get clarity on all this? Well, there's two, two time frames for the public to be aware of at this point in time. 
firstly, I think the, the government will go straight towards drafting legislation uh, to mandate um, a change to water services. And of course, that will then go through a select committee process, which takes some time because lots and lots of people will submit and lots of people want, will want to be heard. Hamilton will be making a submission. I'm meeting with my councillors uh, later today and again next week to discuss what, uh, how we would like to engage with our public to shape our submission. Also, of course, the general public can group up or individually submit to the select committee themselves. Um, so the, that date is in December that I think they're going to start um, telling us when we can uh, submit to the select committee. So that's not far away. No, it seems like... In it terms of, no, no. And I really seriously hope they do not expect the community to um, take that consultation or prepare their submissions over the summer holiday break. I mean, we've had enough on our plate this year without spoiling, spoiling summer that way. Um, but we do need some time to put that together. We'll be bringing our best heads to the game, our best evidence. There'll be planners, lawyers, public consultation. All of that will be in the mix. That's the first date. The second date is that it's going to take about two years to transition councils over to any new model. And in the meantime, the government is meeting the cost of those transitions. And here's another point to remember. They're also offering a well-being um, once-off payment for council that's 50, for Hamilton Council that's $52 million, which we can spend on other core activities in our long-term plan. That's uh, currently their way of uh, ensuring that we are no worse off. Whether that's sufficient, that's a matter of debate. But, you know, those things are all, uh, are all coming to pass in the next couple of years. Still. It won't be overnight anyway. No, but it is uh, making it difficult to, uh, with the evolution of your LTP, to, to try to make um, you know, sound judgments about what's going to happen five, oh, five okay. ten years down the track. Absolutely right, and that's one of the key points we said in our submission. We said that we want to make sure that the entities are lined up with our strategic planning. Hamilton Council has done a lot of work. We've done Future Proof with Waikato and Waipa. We've uh, done H2A, which is Hamilton to Auckland Plan, and we've done our Hamilton made spatial plan. So we were very well planned over the next 10 and 30 years. We want the entity to make sure that it delivers on our expectations for placemaking rather than those being completely overlooked. Paul, you've been very generous with your time this morning. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we could have these discussions that go on and on and on, but I've got to let you go. Yeah. But yeah, look, look, I just want to say one thing to the public. Um, everybody's anxious about this. We will be in, um, consulting with you. Uh, I will be keeping in touch as to what options you have to express your views. I think that message is very clear. Thank you, Paula. Look forward to getting in touch again in the near future and uh, getting an update on all these things again. Uh, you know, these, it's a moving feast no matter which way you look at it and all those different oh, subjects. Oh, it's a fast, <laughs> fast changing world out there. The sky <laughs> is blue today. It's beautiful, though. Everyone That's have a great day. Really shaping up well, isn't it? Thanks very much, Paula. No worries. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.